So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to about you all. I'm joking. I use beat. After the four gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. Geek History of Time, where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher here in Northern California. Uh, now uh, finishing up my first week of hybrid instruction after a year away from my classroom. Um, and I have to say it has not been quite the complete clusterfuck I had expected it would be. Uh, still don't entirely see the point of why I'm back in a classroom when I only have five kids showing up at a time and I'm not introducing any new material while I have those five kids in the room and they're having to sit four feet apart from each other. Um, I mean, the laundry list could go on, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're political, the political will in this country seems to, uh, require that we have, uh, performative attendance on the part of students. And so I'm doing my part to enable that. Would you like to know more? Um, no, because okay. I live it on a daily basis and okay. it's, it's depressing. Yeah, uh, it really is. Largely because I'm a latin high school teacher up here in northern california and i actually just got the paperwork that says that i can remain at home uh until the end of the year which is really really cool bump you can't see it of course in radio land out there but that's what we just did yes but uh i really like um that i've got such a supportive admin actually it's it's kind of nice yeah it must Um, be and uh i you know frankly i like that uh my admin's vision because he does have a vision but my admin's vision seems to be one of, I'm not going to last as long as any of you are because history is a thing. <laughs> so I want to empower you all so that it's not based on the permissions and personality of the person in charge, but instead on the culture of the campus that you and I help create, which is really nice, uh, which means that for wow. the... Wow. Yeah. Believe it or not, a human in charge. Yeah. Um, Damn. So, uh, believe it or not, that means that for the next six weeks or so, as kids are coming back next week, uh, he said um, that the academics matter a whole lot less than taking care of the people in front of you. So, take care of the people in front of you. 
And if that's academics, that's great. And if it's not, that is also okay. If they just need a day to cry, then let them have that day to cry. Don't worry about how far you covered into the Korean War. So, wow. Yeah, it's neat. It's cool. I really, really, really wish my principal would have a come to your principal meeting. I I like, wish my principal would go out on the road and teach other principals how to principal because he actually puts the word principles back into the job of principal. Where where do I where do I sign the petition to to get him to do that? I keep like, trying to get you to come I, into my district. Yeah, and so. you know, recent events that's that's getting not any more likely. <laughs> like fair. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, yeah. But fair. um so our out to just move away from that depressing topic into mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know what might turn out to be a different one. Um, <laughs> so a moment ago, I asked you, would you like to know more? I, I did catch that. Yeah. And I don't know why it twigged my brain. What, okay. That is familiar, right. but I don't okay. remember what. So from. so what, what do you remember about the year 1997? Uh, oh, I moved in with producer George. There you go. Producer okay. George's now wife of more than 20 years used to drive producer George and myself to Egghead Computers. I'm, I remember a lot about okay. 1997. I really do. Uh, because it, we had a new movie theater that opened up just not not too far from us. We could okay. walk to it. Very cool. Um, and it was really cool because uh, it, was, it was brand new. So mm-hmm. you didn't have all the stains and stickiness. And I remember there was one movie that we went to see just kind of on a whim. Yeah. Um, and I had had, I was like, okay, this looks like a fun little action flick. Cool. Okay. But there were only enough seats for four of us. And uh, three of us guys decided we wanted to go see this one. And that meant his wife had to go see something else. So we kind of started a fight between them by Ooh. going going to watch Starship Troopers. Okay. So it Well, was, and there you go. What? Would you like to know more? Oh, that's what it's from. Yes. That's why I thought of that. Yes. There you go. Precisely. Okay. So um, we're going to be talking about Starship Troopers today. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Um, and and the issue that specifically we're going to we're going to talk about in Starship Troopers is uh, Heinlein, Robert Anton Heinlein, uh, known very much for uh, his ability to draw the back end of Bo Derek, if I recall. That too. Yeah, yeah. He yes, he drew yes. the cover for the movie Ten, uh, where you see Bo Derek's rear end um, in a yeah. silhouette. He drew a really good hind line. Oh, very nice. Thank well you. done. Thank well you. done. How far in five twenty? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Kind of kind of slipping. It's not it my fault you talked so much about middle school. Okay. Well, granted, there is that. <laughs> so, um, but but Robert Anton Heinlein, R A H. Uh, uh, wrote a novel in 1959 that became mm-hmm. the basis for the movie Starship Troopers. Oh, okay. So 1959. So he's yeah. already an adult. Um, he's, I assume. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. He, and he's I, already. I got, I got a short bio. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. So. Beginning here. Okay. Then, then so, continue, continue. Okay. So uh, the, the, the title and subtitle of this episode is uh, movie versus book starship troopers Ooh. or Heinlein wasn't a fascist, but Verhoeven made him one. Um, so in, in 59 Heinlein yeah. drew a fine line yes. between nicely. Thank you. Okay. I like to see you. Yeah, not yeah. even mad there. No, not even, no. not even mad. All right. 
Um, he so, also he he raised hunting dogs. I don't know if that's in your bio, but no, it is not. Yeah, no, the and the Heinlein kennels for yeah. Weimar Reiner Heinleins. Uh, yes. Weimar yeah. Weimar Rhein. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. He's stretched on that one. Yeah, so do the dogs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, so in 1958, 59, there was, the the announcement came out here in the United States that, uh, we were going to be in, in, in an effort to cooperate with the Soviets, Mm -hmm. we were going to be suspending nuclear tests. Nice. Okay. As part of, as part of negotiation with, with the Soviet Union. By this point, both of us have the H-bomb, correct? Uh, yes. By 59, we both did. And so we were going to be suspending nuclear tests. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, in in 1954, just to give a broader kind of idea of where in the Cold War we're talking about here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in 54, uh, John Foster Dulles started us down the road to mutually assured destruction as Secretary of State. As a deterrent or as a hell of a good idea? As a deterrent. Oh, okay. The, okay. Idea, yeah, the yeah. idea of mutually yeah. assured destruction as, you know, he, he talked of... Uh, massive retaliatory power in defense of U.S. allies at a at a function with State Department people. It's basically NATO. He gave, he gave a right? speech. Well, yeah, NATO yeah. and later. So okay, so in '54, mm-hmm. uh, NATO first of all got got formed after World War II. Yeah, 40, like 49, 49, 48, yeah. 49, 50, or 48, 49. You're right, and then CETO. Uh, was formed in 54, Southeast right. Asian Treaty Organization. In 57, we get the Eisenhower Doctrine, meaning we're going to defend Middle Eastern nations against communist aggression. Which was Mito. Nice. Thank you. Nice. Except we never actually formed a treaty organization in that part of the world. Oh, really? No. Yeah. Turkey oh. wound up eventually. I don't think they were part of it in 57, but eventually Turkey joined NATO. Right. But, Which is funny because other... you, you'd think you would want Turkey in your Mito. You you really would, yeah, wouldn't you? You know, you know. Um, but but I guess because Europe and the Bosporus, and you just kind of grease the skids. Kinda, <laughs> nice, thanks. Nice. Uh, yeah, massively Donian that. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then and then Strategic Air Command uh-huh. started their twenty four seven round the clock watch for Soviet missiles in fifty now- seven. And in 58, we designed a uh, treaty organization that fell through, but it was with China and Mongolia. It was called Cheeto. With Chester as the first secretary. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No. No? Okay. Uh, so in 57, uh, the Soviets launched Sputnik, which was the beginning of the space race. Right. And then in 58 into 59 mm-hmm. is the Berlin Airlift. Wait. December 58 into 59. That's 58, 59? I yeah, thought that was... Yeah, it's that late. It really wow. is that late. Oh, no. That, Truman did that. That was 48, 49. Hold on. Yeah. But meanwhile, up. while you're looking that but, up, yeah. also we started uh, a, a treaty organization for the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, specifically with, I believe, France and Azerbaijan because they okay. both had really good swimmers and we started Speedo. Yeah, you're right. 48 into 49. How yeah. did I get that? Yeah. yeah. And I'm just going to completely... <laughs> I'm going to swim right nope. past that one. Oh, well just, done. Just, yeah. So we're, we're not talking about, this is not the high water mark of the Cold War. No. Okay, we're not, no. we're not at high tide yet. Right. But the, but the tide was very clearly on the rise. Tension, yes. Tensions between the U.S. and the Soviet Union were, were continuously 
gradually but at an accelerating pace it was like a, a were ramping up. steady increasing drum beto you're just not gonna <laughs> quit with that wow so um i because then we got because then we tried to get uh, fidel castro to play for the pittsburgh pirates but he didn't like the shoes that he had to wear because yeah. he didn't want to wear cletos okay yeah all right <laughs> I just move on. Just, okay. Just yeah. keep moving on. Just we did form you. a treaty with Scotland and it was called Bleto because of the sheep. Yes. The, see, I wasn't sure whether it was the sheep or the pipes, but there you go. <laughs> so, so Heinlein, uh-huh. um, first off was Who had scoliosis. A, so he had a crooked spine line. Spine line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, didn't actually, uh, cause he wouldn't have been able to get into Annapolis with uh, with that he right. was a he was a naval academy graduate class of i have it here somewhere i'll find it um and he he graduated number five in his class academically but number 20 overall because of demerits okay which tells you a little bit about his personality. Well, it also tells you the culture of, of, of the academies. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that, that too. If I, and I might be wrong on this, but I do believe that William Appleman Williams, the historian, also, I think, was either at just some Naval Academy or yeah. at Annapolis. Okay. Um, and, yeah, which which is which is really interesting. I, I should probably look that up. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Heinlein had by by 1959 uh Heinlein already had an established career he'd he'd written stuff that that science fiction fans to this day it's it's his works many of his works are are considered part of the canon of the form mm-hmm. um and he had been writing since the 30s uh, you know the the book of his that is dearest to my heart uh is uh, have space suit will travel Okay, uh, which was one of a big, long series of juvenile science fiction stories that he wrote for okay. for think like eleven, twelve, thirteen year old readers, yeah, yeah. young adult fiction, yeah, basically. young adult stuff, yeah. Um, and uh, Starship Troopers marks the end of the young adult writing in his career. So it's young adult. It's well, yes and no. Okay. Um, it could be. But he he didn't really intend it that way. But mm-hmm. because of kind of one of the things that the novel is, there are themes from the juveniles, as his fans refer to the to the young adult stuff that he wrote. There there are themes from the juveniles that carry over okay. into his work. And and I want to take a moment to to do a little bit of a segue about politics and science fiction before we even get started okay and before into starship troopers specifically yeah before you do that yeah. uh so heinlein graduated in 29 okay so heinlein 29 out. yeah uh and uh william appleman williams graduated in 45 okay and what i find fascinating just right there is you have two very prolific writers in their fields yes william appleman williams was like the c wright mills school of history yeah and he developed the wisconsin school of history which was Essentially, instead of the Cold War was predatory communism, it yeah. was it's a smokescreen for predatory capitalism. Okay. Um, and it's not like he didn't have a From shit ton Annapolis of advice. Grad. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing, and he and he yeah. talked about, and this is why it twigged me so much because you know Heinlein is predating him by uh, sixteen years. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's possible they had similar or the same professors. 
It's possible. Potentially. Um, and uh, I know that um, William Appen Williams, uh, he talked about when he was in his English class, because it's a college. You know? Yeah. When he was in his English class, he had to, his professors assigned like 10 Pulp Fiction novels to them mm-hmm. to read so that when they actually read the classics, they'd appreciate them. Yes. And I just found that fascinating because it's like, oh, "Oh, you're going to get a whole lot of reps in with garbage, but it's still going to be reps. And then when we actually get to Homer, you're going to be like, oh, thank fucking God. (laughs) Oh, thank Christ. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I I just I think that's interesting that uh, you have, again, two prolific writers coming out of this Annapolis uh, Academy at at, within the same generation. Yes. I'm going to say now, I don't know if there was a turnover at that point, but I mean, 29 yeah, to 45, 29 to 40. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. within a 20 year span. Yeah. I know that yeah. they're, they're very different people, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you wanted yeah. to get into the, the politics. Yeah. So, so, do. so science fiction obviously is, is a forward looking genre, right? Mm-hmm. And it is a visionary genre. Uh, yes. William Gibson wrote a wonderful essay about uh, science fiction having the freedom mm-hmm. that comes with being the court jester of literature. Oh. Oh, so you're not supposed to take it seriously on some level. Yeah. 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 And it's... as such, you can be much more daring and challenging. And and bring up ideas, mm-hmm. bring up bring up concepts and and say, I'm gonna take this thing. Right. And I'm gonna run with this thing. Yeah. I'm gonna and I'm gonna spin this thing out to mm-hmm. one logical conclusion of it. Right, right. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna think about what knock on effects does that have. Sure, yeah. Okay? Yeah. And so all of speculative fiction mm-hmm. um <clears throat> kind kind of builds on on that on that kind of conceit. Now, with that conceit, and I'm yeah. sorry, I, I keep just completely stepping on any rhythm you've got, and I apologize. Don't worry about it. Uh, it it's because I was listening to a Heinlein drumline. Um, but uh, <laughs> good day, sir. But uh, so I just want to. So Heinlein's writing around this time. Yeah. You've done another episode on Tolkien. Yes. Now these are two ends of the spectrum as far as technology goes when it comes to the worlds that they build. Yes. I'm curious as to uh, what. It, it seems like One both them, are on the margins and therefore can point to similar things about the human condition and they do it in very different ways. But at the same time, there does seem to be a focus difference in One of both. Them, one of them is very much intensely identifies as an Englishman. Oh, as okay. A, as yeah, a yeah. central part of his whole worldview okay. is his his love of England and, right. and you know the countryside around Oxford and all sure, that. Sure, sure. And then the other one is very, very American. Sure. Very, very uh, motivated by his Americanness and mm-hmm. his his belief in the ideas of the American experiment. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so their emphases are very are wildly different. They also live through two different wars. They live through two different wars. Tolkien is easily a generation older. Yes. Uh, and Tolkien is rabidly anti-industrialism. Tolkien Tolkien's mm-hmm. whole worldview is 
And then they had to figure out water power and building mills, and they just fucked everything up. And so it's this kinda is kind of his his Tolkien's and underlie. There's a deep, deep distrust of technology in right. Tolkien. Heinlein was was a was a believer in the utopian potential of right techn- much like his generation of American science fiction. Writers, of course, yes, he was he was convinced that. You know, uh, we science and technology and and you know, good old American pluck, right? We're we're going to find solutions to all of the world's problems, and okay. with that combination of the right kind of gritty grit and character, right? Combined with you know, Protestant work ethic, et cetera, et cetera, sure. and scientific progress, uh-huh. we would wind up living in in a, in a better, world. cleaner. Right. You know. Okay, so I want to I want to drill down on that difference just a little bit more okay, though, yeah, because yeah. I have someone who loves both so much in yes. front of me. Yeah. I I, I really want to peel back a few layers of this onion. Okay, so, yeah. uh, Tolkien also is a an Englishman living at the decline of his empire. Yes. And Heinlein is an American living at the ascendancy of his. Yes. That's that's an important thing and I think that'll probably Very, yeah. play out, but what I want to get back to is the worlds that they both created. Yes. Because you have a world without technology mm-hmm. and it's it seems almost Horatian in its uh like Horace the, oh, okay. the the poet um in its uh it's you know it values the bucolic, it values the yeah. idyllic. Um and I'm wondering Very much. it's stripping away a lot of things. It almost feels like if you strip away all those things and maybe maybe this is getting toward my love of different kinds of role playing games. If you strip away all those things, then you can get to a pure human condition. Okay. Yeah. Um. And if you go the other way with the technology, and I'm asking if 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 this if this yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. if this cons, if you go the other way with technology and sci-fi, you are adding things on to get to. I almost want to say a pure human condition, but it it doesn't. It almost Here's seems like thing. this is more aspect aspect oriented, whereas this is more core oriented. Yeah, I th- I think I think the is way that... the way the way you say that I think works. Okay. I think I think it's important to note that Heinlein and um, oh damn it, one of my favorite other writers, uh, Jerry Pornell and Asimov. No, uh, Larry Niven. Oh. Um, Heinlein, Niven, Pornell, all mm-hmm. of those guys, um, were, were convinced, uh, that, that taking all of that stuff away, mm-hmm. taking us back to a simpler condition was going to lead to anarchy and the tyranny of the strong. Uh, Larry, Larry which Niven. History proves. Yes, which history proves. Yeah. Larry Niven actually wrote a, a really remarkable, fun, short story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that has to do with um, the failure of a monitoring system. There's there's he, oh, okay. he came up with the idea of at some point in his future history, the the freeway system becomes obsolete, and in Los Angeles they mm-hmm. turn the freeways into parks. They turn them into huge green belts. Oh, neat! And in this short story, there's a system of semi-autonomous drones. That, that move around and watch everybody. So he They're predicted not, Hollywood. He, yeah, he did sort of. And, <laughs> yeah. But without thinking about many of the ramifications. And I think he wrote this in, in the, in the forties or the fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so there are these little anti-gravity hover drone things floating okay. around. And the thing is they're, they're semi-autonomous mm-hmm. and, and they 
communicate with each they don't send visual to any to each other okay because his imagination wasn't quite big enough to understand the idea of the internet yet right right it's too far away but they are constantly in communication with each other so one of them sees something going wrong and can send a signal and summon five or six of them okay and one of the things is in these parks Mm -hmm. it's it is idyllic anarchy you the laws about individual behavior don't apply with the exception that if you do anything violent or threatening toward anybody else, one of these drones is going to stun you and knock you unconscious. Okay. And, and allow whoever you're bothering to get away and do whatever. Well, some, you know, Weisenheimer says, ah, you know, George Orwell, you know, right. Watched all the time. And partly out of a, an anarchistic streak and partly out of just, I want to see what I can do with this thing. Uh He winds up disabling one of them. Okay. He gets a bunch of kids to, he pays a bunch of kids to catch one of them and then he's tinkering with it. Uh-huh. He shuts it down. Well, somehow in a way that the story doesn't explain because it's not really because important to the science, plot. Right. Um, the one getting shut down shuts all of them down. Oh, this is this is the plot behind uh, Independence Day. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's and, dissolved. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and when that happens, uh-huh. then the park turns into Lord of the Flies. Right, right. Because there isn't anybody. Wow, and he's in, in L.A. writing this in the '40s. Yeah, I just I, I would point yeah. out how fucked up the police department was in L.A. in the '40s. In the '40s, yeah. And the belief that if the police went away, yeah. Wow. Well, it is well known yeah. in in literary science fiction circles, people who go to science fiction cons for years and years and years. Niven Purnell Heinlein, while he was alive, mm-hmm. well, now all these guys are dead, but. Well, actually, I could be wrong. Niven might not be. But anyway. No, Niven died in the 80s because um, I remember they did a MASH retrospective and Ferret Face was, I think, the second one to die right nice, after. Nice. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. So, uh, but anyway, Niven, Pornell, mm-hmm. and a, a cadre of other writers mm-hmm. were right of center. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were they were conservatives. They they were believers in forties conservatives, forties forties fifties conservatives. Okay, so okay. essentially communists now. Yeah, well, yeah, they'd be labeled that way. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did I? Yeah. I got it. Okay, yeah. I, I brought up communists. Ma- maybe and, maybe not maybe not communists, but they right. would be labeled as cucks for sure. Right. Yeah. I just you know. I got so given my dalliances yeah, with calling with, things out. Yeah. Uh, I got an email uh, today or yesterday from somebody at my work. I don't respond to work emails from outsiders, so feel free to keep sending them, people. Uh, but uh, <laughs> You'll just wind up on the podcast. Yeah, like, he's pretty much. He's just going to wind up talking about it like So this. a guy, he, he basically, he's like, hey, you communist cocksucker, and he goes on and on. And it occurred to me that in his world, the objectionable part about me is that I'm a communist cocksucker, in which case I started like wondering, like, well, would he be okay with a fascist cocksucker? Or is he more of like a Peronist fa- no, no, cocksucker? No, 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 but no, stop. So, stop, okay. stop, okay. stop. In his worldview, mm-hmm. fascists, Peronists, mm-hmm. they pitch, they don't catch. No, but his objection they didn't don't... seem to do the cocksuckerness. It was the communist part, because that's the part that kept was the through line. So he kept I, bringing up that. Yeah. So well, you can be a cocksucker, know, I, that's I think, fine. I think the but... cocksucker part was intended to just be, you know, a, a throwaway insult yeah yeah clearly you know he thinks you you know the thing that gets me though is like okay the issue that you brought up 
<laughs> was institutional racism. Yeah. And somehow that makes you a communist. The biggest thing I want all of your critics like yeah, like yeah, yeah. I I actually want to want to go to one of their meetings <laughs> like I when it, wherever sure. it is they get together and share their crazy shit nutbag whatever-ness. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to just stand up in front of them and go, "Okay, I want to give you all a primer." Right. On what these words fucking mean. <laughs> yeah. I teach 7th okay. grade. Here we go. I teach you know? I teach 7th grade world yeah. history. I'm qualified to teach government and political science to high schoolers. Right. Clearly, none of you were paying attention, so mm -hmm. let's get into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Communism yeah. does not mean is 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 you can have a a racial <laughs> superiorist, supremacist, communist. You can do that. You can be it would be harder. I would argue harder. Okay. It would be harder, but you yeah. just you just say in our communist utopia, we don't have these people. These people. Okay. 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 I, mean, I could see that. I could it'd see be exclusionary that. supremacism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you could do it. Yeah. The two communism mm -hmm. is not innately tied to uh, uh, racial you know, equality. Racial equality. It is tied to an idea of economic distribution. Okay. 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 All right. It is tied to a system of of you know uh, 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 sharing of resources. Okay. It doesn't have anything at all to do with the fucked up race politics of our country. Now, now, okay, now, okay. Generally speaking, mm -hmm. leftists are gonna be people who are pushing for racial justice, racial equality because right. of intersectionalism and the fact that the white supremacist capitalist system that we have now don't forget imperialist because well, that's where i think you're gonna you're gonna run into trouble uh with saying communism doesn't have any interest in in the racial stuff because it's inherently anti-imperialist and imperialism is absolutely based on a racial system yes yeah so no, therefore I, I, yeah. Well, by, yeah by by it, that extension by, by, but yes yeah, okay by, by the transitive property yeah, yes yeah, yeah. you are correct but you get you get my point like, i do like i want i want to just say okay no look Communism is an economic system. Right, right. Okay. And to the extent it's political, it's because politics is how we decide how we're going to run our fucking economy. Sure. Okay. Capitalism, mm -hmm. capitalism doesn't actually have some level of innate virtue tied to freedom, individual. No. Right. The only thing, the only thing capitalism says mm -hmm. is if you have money, mm -hmm. you can take that money. And put it into a project and make more money. Right. 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 And and Adam Smith, mm -hmm. and this this is the reason I don't <laughs> and this is the reason yeah. I don't call myself a socialist. Adam Smith, the father of capitalism. Sure. Uh the one that like every Ayn Rand, you know, jack off fanboy, yeah. you know, says, yep. Well, you know, just look at Adam Smith. You haven't read Adam Smith. <laughs> I fucking have read Adam Smith. He's not saying what you think he's fucking saying. True. Adam Smith just said, you, as an individual, are mm -hmm. going to be more efficient, more effective, and probably more successful mm -hmm. if you focus on doing this one thing that you are good at. Right. Specialization of labor, mm -hmm. you know, and and important point, Adam Smith never said a goddamn word about taxes being evil. No, in fact, he talked about that the invisible hand being a regulatory body. Yes. Yeah. And and so, you know, 
I, I, yeah. I sure. Mean, I, I could, okay. I could get it all. But, so Heinlein anyway, was right of center. You, calling yeah. you, calling you a communist. Yeah. Like that's one of the, and like it's happened to you so many times in the last <laughs> couple of weeks that every time that comes up, I just want to go on a rant about. Well, one of them no, sent me a, no, sent me a letter. It. You could certainly go on a road trip. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> every time I think about the woman who sent it, uh. I, I get such a kick out of it because there's a song called Downtown sung by Mrs. Miller. Um, and if you oh, type yeah. in downtown yeah. Mrs. Miller, it's just most most off key oh. uh, song. And I just imagine that voice being when being, reading. We, yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. So. So. OK. OK. Back to back to Heinlein. Your boys were, were right of center. They were they were right of center. Yeah. They were Eisenhower mm-hmm. uh, Republicans. Sure. Sure. Um, and as time went on and mm-hmm. we got into like the Reagan years, they were. You know, rah rah. Cold, right. They were cold warriors. They were pulled right. Yeah, they were they were pulled right along with you know the the movement yeah. as it were. Yeah. And and what I think is important to keep in mind is they were cold warriors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just like JFK. Yeah. Just yeah. Essentially yes. Yeah. And um, so in their work, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, C.J. Cherry or uh, other 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 science fiction authors okay um pern and mccaffrey um other this is why i get a kick out of the fact where you like you go off on how well read i am like i heard one of those names once (laughs) i haven't read shit of those things so here's the deal this is episode one of i'm educating you about science fiction yeah true because because the next the next thing i have in the pipeline is i'm just i'm gonna fucking do dune sweet like sweet and it's just gonna be okay look yeah here, here's doing here it is yeah so anyway um all all so there there's this this right of center faction of science fiction uh-huh. Heinlein, Heinlein uh-huh. is definitely in that camp there's the left of center wing of science fiction mm-hmm. other authors are in that camp and this was all happening in a time when the deep 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 ugly divisions that we have right now weren't a thing social mores were also somewhat different so asimov for example was kind of tacitly allowed to be a dirty old man and get away with doing problematic shit at conventions because well you know that's isaac and the entire genre is now having a long overdue conversation about okay no Mm -hmm. that was not okay right these things are bad boys and girls. We shouldn't be doing this. And female authors should not have to put up with this shit in order to socialize and hang in these circles where publishing decisions get made and all this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Um, so understand as I'm, as I talk about these things, I Mm -hmm. don't want to try to put some kind of rose colored glasses over, you know, that, that era and what was going on. You're not doing a hagiography of them. Yeah, no, no. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of the context for understanding what Heinlein did with the novel. Okay. Okay. And okay. we're going to, I'm going to talk about the novel before we get anywhere near Verhoeven in the movie. Sure. Uh, just chronology. And yeah. I, I think it's a more constructive way to have the conversation. That's how we did Batman. Yeah. So, so Heinlein was a graduate of the Naval Academy, was a mm-hmm. veteran of World War II. Uh, he he had not been actively in the Navy. Okay. He was a civilian contractor during the war. Prior okay. to the war, he'd been 
uh, a, a technical officer. He'd done mm-hmm. communications work uh, at sea. He was a line officer in the Navy. What is a line officer? For- uh, line officer is supposed to staff officer. A uh, line officer is somebody who is actually out in a position where mm-hmm. they could potentially get shot at. Staff okay. officer is somebody in a support headquarters kind of role. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Um, and so he was he was aboard a ship, sure. um, aircraft carrier. Oh, wow. I got to look up which one. Uh, but anyway, he he mm-hmm. served in the navy. Okay. That that was that was a very centrally shaping kind of part of his worldview. Mm-hmm. And, um. Starship Troopers is unabashedly a pro-military, loudly pro-military work, okay? And it is clearly a product of the Cold War. The arachnids, mm-hmm. the bugs, are a hive mind, centrally controlled army of cold, faceless murder machines mm-hmm. deployed in waves, mm-hmm. one after the other, after the other, after the other. They're not actually even given any weapons because, of course, in Starship Troopers, the bugs don't need them. Right. But what does this sound like? Remember, this is written in 59. Well, it sounds like... Centrally controlled wave attacks by huge numbers of... of, Yeah, it sounds like two things. It sounds like... uh, By the way, he was on the USS Lexington. Thank you. Um, Sure. Uh, Which makes sense because it's one of the first aircraft carriers, so... Uh, but uh, what do you call it? Uh, it sounds like one of two things. One, it sounds like it's informed by perhaps knowledge of how the Russian infantry worked on the Eastern Front. Yes. Also, though, uh, America had just gotten out of Korea, and that's China, and that's winner, just yeah. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Nice. Yes. Go me. Um, clearly informed by Western perception of both the Soviets mm-hmm. and more more immediately, right. The, the Chinese and the North Chinese, Koreans, communist, yeah. communist Chinese and the North Koreans, um, and and to be fair, mm-hmm. it's a generalization, and he's painting with a very broad brush, but that saves time, sure. as we know from <laughs> a wise man, um, and and it's not exactly wrongly portrayed, mm-hmm. um, as a as a reader of military fiction, mm-hmm. um, and. Darn it, I can't remember the, the title of the book, but a, a U.S. military, a retired U.S. military officer mm-hmm. sometime in the mid to late 80s mm-hmm. actually wrote a speculative fiction. It wasn't science fiction. It was it was just a what-if story mm. uh, of what actually happens if the, the Russians try to go over the Fulda Gap. Okay. And for those in our listening audience who, who aren't aware of these terms – the Fulda Gap was basically the one place that NATO knew that if the Soviets were actually going to run headlong into Western Europe, that would be there. The Fulda Gap was the geographical bottleneck they were they were going to be coming through. Okay, and we knew we had their army manuals. They had okay. ours. They they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. had FM one hundred one. They they knew what our doctrine was. And they specifically designed weapon systems to deal with our military doctrine in the same way we designed stuff to deal with theirs. Right. We knew that we were going to be dealing with uh, a, I want to say, five to three numerical problem. They were going to outnumber yeah, us they at had least more than, five yeah. to three in terms of armor. And so okay. every, every armor system that NATO developed from the 19... 19- 60s mm-hmm. until the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. was built around that idea. The the Apache 
attack helicopter with, mm-hmm. with all of those anti-tank missiles. Right. Was the Hellfire missile system was specifically designed to be the weapon that was going to be, we're going to put a cloud of these mm-hmm. up in the sky and we're going to, we're going to blow up. One of these helicopters is going to need to blow up a dozen tanks. Wow. And the A-10 Warthog yeah. was specifically designed for, okay, no, look, we're, we're going to need to pop these things like pimples. Yeah. Because, I was going to say it just you know, bores holes through yeah, the just, armor. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so because we knew mm-hmm. how their doctrine worked, this this officer who right now I can't remember his name and I can't remember the title of the novel, but but it was a fascinating thought exercise was mm-hmm. he actually got into the head of a fictional Soviet army officer, armor okay. officer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, the way their doctrine worked, one of the central things that happens in the novel is they achieve a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And this company commander with his, you know, eight tanks or however many it was, busts through allied lines, winds up behind allied lines. Mm-hmm. And now to our doctrine, mm-hmm. that was kid in a candy store time. That was, okay, no, now you run around blowing shit up. Like right. you as the commander on the field, right? you're the guy, go do it. Right. Soviet doctrine was, we don't know what to do. If, oh. if you can't hear from central command, okay, there's, there's this, there's this moment of we're winning. The fuck do I do? Right. Next step, please. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything in their, in their doctrine was built around the idea of centralized control. Huh. And so this picture of, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what the bugs were as this allegory for communist right. Soviets. And they is, were they were like, larger than soldiers too, so they were clearly the armor division. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um. And so you know, it it is it is definitely a reaction to mm-hmm. what what we knew and surmised. I mean, in fifty nine, what, right. what we knew and and what we surmised about what what this might look like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny thing, though, the book is is a lot more than that all at once. It's also a post post apocalypse novel. So we had an apocalypse and then we rebuilt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the society that Johnny Rico and all of his friends are living in mm-hmm. is one that was built in the wake of a nuclear exchange. Which ultimately, a generation or two previously. Okay, and this is fifty nine. Yeah, I'm just thinking about uh, Gene Roddenberry. Yes, and what he might have had access to, what he might have been breeding, because when you get to S- Star Trek, yeah. Um, now Roddenberry, Roddenberry wrote the character Nunyan Singh. He did. Yes, and the uh, eugenics wars and all that. Yeah, uh, was was a part of that backstory. I don't know if he was the only writer on that, or if there was a writer's room that they mm-hmm. probably massaged it back and forth. But it occurs to me that Star Trek is a post post apocalyptic as well. Yeah, because we had to get real low before we could actually get before to the utopia. Could, yeah. yeah. Okay. What what existed previously for Roddenberry? Right. I think it's the kind of kind of liberal progressive idea of yes yeah, we, we need to break down what yeah. we, what we get rid of got, religion get rid, of, get rid yeah. of the rot get rid of the stuff that's in the yeah. way yeah and then we can achieve all these dizzying heights yeah uh, and basically being one of his central things yeah, yeah as we I, it makes about. yeah it makes me wonder if uh john lennon didn't just watch star trek and write imagine <laughs> it could be yeah you never know yeah, yeah. um 
so the the novel is also a Bildungsroman. Say it again. Bildungsroman. Coming of age novel. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, Johnny Rico changes over the course of the novel from being a flat C student from a privileged family hmm. who doesn't want to get involved in politics to a dedicated, patriotic, highly competent commander of men on the battlefield. Wow, that's like what George W. Bush wishes. Yeah, kind of. Oh, that's interesting right there, too. Because yeah, yeah, 97 yeah. and then four years later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He yeah. actually, he read a lot, believe it or not. Like, oh, yeah. Like, people, like, come down on him for being an idiot. Um, And frankly, I think there's some ableism going on there. But uh, well, also, he um, is amongst, also amongst other things. Yeah, yeah. but uh, but he was kind of a prolific reader. Oh yeah. Um, and I wonder if he didn't because I mean he loved Red Dawn as a movie too. Yeah, like, well, it's, it's, yeah. You know, but uh, uh, come on, yeah. He's a Republican. Yeah, Red yeah, yeah. Dawn was the height. Of the I mean, the we talk about pinnacle, high yeah. high watermark. Yes. Of the, of the Cold War. Yeah. Right. No, of course, yeah. of course, he loved it. Sure. Are you kidding? Had all the all the machismo, oh, yeah. all the you know set in Iowa, so, yeah, you, you know, know corn pers- country. persecuted Americanism, yep. American exceptionalism. I mean, yeah, no, of course it did. Yeah. It's red meat, yeah, know, red dawn, red meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Rico mm-hmm. is this? I mean, at, at the beginning of the <laughs> sorry, what? I just I got an image of a before and after. <clears throat> so red dawn knots. <laughs> <laughs> I just, well, Wolverines. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then Red Dawn Rickles. Oh, sure, this guy. He's going to come over here and shoot me now. Yeah, yeah, Cuban. Yeah, 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 he yeah, and his Cuban. Russian friend. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. great. Okay, just yeah, look great. at him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just... yeah. Andy, bang. <laughs> I need another bullet for my AK, Andy. <laughs> or just <laughs> um, Red Dawn Ho, you know. Yeah. Tiny, Tiny bullets. Tiny bullets. Yeah, we went to the same place <laughs> yeah. on that one. Um. So, but, but. It is the novel is mm-hmm. uh, clearly building on all of the juveniles that he'd written previously because of the fact that it is this coming of age story. So in some ways, it's him coming of age in his in his uh, what's it called? Not your discography. His yeah, his oeuvre. Because you just said it was the last of his young adult stuff. Yeah, or or it's, so. it's the first of what we would say is not young adult. Stuff. Right. So and so literally, his <clears throat> writing is going through the same metamorphosis that Johnny Rico is. Yes. Okay. Yes. Or okay. or his his subject matter and his his mm-hmm. thought processes. Mm. Because after this, mm-hmm. um, going into the '60s, going into the '70s, he he got weird. Um. I'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's the movie is, is not the movie. The, the novel is a whole bunch of things kind of all at once. Okay. Uh, it is also mm-hmm. at its core, a very big part of it is a thought experiment and a political philosophy statement. Okay. What it isn't, and I'm mm-hmm. going to get into kind of what mm-hmm, the statement mm-hmm. is supposed to be, but what it isn't, what it wasn't meant to be. Okay. And I phrase that that way because yeah, that's yeah, yeah. an important distinction. What it was not meant to be was a payant to fascism. Well, and I would point out that what is one is one of the authorial m- intent don't mean shit. Yeah, yeah no, I, so, I yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no. yeah, which is why you're you're threading that yeah, needle. I'm, I'm yeah, threading that needle that way. His intent was not for it to be uh-huh. a fascist novel. Heinlein participated in socialist politics in California. Uh, back in the early 30s, he was part of the Epic Movement, End Poverty in California. 
did he work with uh, Steinberg? Or no, not what's his name? Steinbeck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what I figured. Because yeah. Steinbeck, I mean, featured yes. a socialist movement in yes. the story of the Jodes yes. coming to and, California. Um, um, Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, yeah. No. The the other the other Upton Sinclair. Oh yeah. Was also involved. Yeah. Uh, Heinlein repeatedly deplored dictatorial regimes in his writing, mm-hmm. both in his fiction and he he wrote reams of essays. Oh, okay. Reams of essays, and nice. and he deplored any kind of authoritarian, top-down, dictatorial kind of government. He, mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. was he was deeply anti anti authoritarian. Uh, he had worked as a civilian engineering consultant for the Navy during World War II. Right, that, and I already mentioned it. And he wrote and spoke often about the importance of citizen participation in representative government. Okay. Oh, that that having watched the movie, I can I can hear the echoes of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You you need you need to show up. You need to vote. Mm-hmm. The 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 vote doesn't is, work without it. Yeah. 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 Um, he's regularly quoted as a libertarian in his later years. Uh, pro free love, pro radical free speech, pro bodily autonomy, hippie, hippie dip slash dirty old man. So He's, yeah, right of center. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But 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 yeah, you know, not tanky right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like like individual, mm-hmm. you know, white white edge lord right, but not tanky edge lord right. Right, right, know? right. Yeah. Um and. Not woman should be subservient, but no, I'm gonna use far, this idea from it. Yeah, to well, get to you know, fill them up. Oh yeah, no, so, I'm, I'm you know, gonna yeah. I'm no. still entitled to their bodies, but they're not subservient to me. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm gonna and and you know I'm the product of you know a generation where yeah. those sexist ideas are just kind of that's that's the water yeah. I swim in, but you know I am gonna talk about how well women get horny too. Mm-hmm. Like they there's, should be allowed, they should be allowed to feel me up too, right? Right. You know, yeah, hey, yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody has fun. Honk, I can think you know. of worse things to do. Yeah. I mean, if know. one bothered me like that, it wouldn't bother me like that. Yeah. It's that kind of. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Basically. Yes. So he's uh, a, he's a Roddenberry leftist. He's a. <laughs> well, he's a Roddenberry rightist. Yeah. There you go. You yeah, know. Yeah. Um. And um. In his in his later works. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one that, that immediately uh, jumps to mind as an example of this is uh, another big, you know, philosophical. I'm gonna I'm gonna include rants from multiple characters from multiple angles about religion and okay. bodily autonomy and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is Stranger in a Strange Land? Oh, he wrote that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I and only know so, the phrase, but <clears throat> yeah, I know so, that it was the title of a book. Yeah, or a and, story. and and it got picked up by the hippie movement. Okay, that's where. Dude, can yeah. you grok it? Became a phrase in oh. popular culture, and that's taken from John Valentine Smith, the the Martian, uh-huh. in air quotes, the the human who came back from Mars. Okay, uh, who learned that phrase from the Martians? Martians to grok means to absorb something in its fullness. Wow! To make it to make it part of yourself, not uh-huh. merely to understand it, right? But to take it into to internalize yourself and, and integrate, to, and to fully internalize it. So wow! Okay, right, man, I grok. Now, okay, at that same time, yeah. as people are saying, "Can you grok it?" They're also doing graffiti of Frodo lives. Yes, I just think it's interesting how yeah. you've got these. Oh yeah, no, th- yeah. these two 
uh, cannons, these two, I don't... Two different threads yeah. of, of speculative fiction yes. going on kind of at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that Heinlein was writing mm-hmm. was was also boomer catnip. Mm. Because yeah. in Stranger... <laughs> I love in, that phrase. In Stranger in a Strange Land, he, yeah. was, he was saying... He, he was totally in favor of uh, uh, polyamory. Sure. He didn't have the word polyamory. Right. But the the religious group, movement, cult, whatever you want to call it, that mm-hmm. his main character founds uh, is polyamory. Everybody in in the community is polyamorous within the community. Okay. And, they, and they're not they 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 have gotten to a place or they're they're all working to get to a place where they've they've gotten past jealousy and whatever and, right you know possession and, attachment and, yeah, yeah possessions all that kind of stuff which is also very eastern philosophy it is kind of thing it you is. know and so but it's it's actually more accurately eastern philosophy than lucas and the jedi because there's also compassion and universal love right involved in it which is weird for me to be saying that when i'm talking about somebody who is very clearly right of center uh-huh you know and and many of his quotes are very very heavy-handed about individual uh individual responsibility individual competence there's there's a meme that shows up all the time about a human being should be able to and there's this mm-hmm. laundry list of stuff plan an invasion butcher a hog deliver a baby there's this big long list uh-huh and and like you need you need to be prepared to take care of yourself was you know but by the same token at the same time mm-hmm. in stranger to strange land and mm-hmm. in sail beyond to sail beyond the sunset and and a whole host of other works of his, mm-hmm. I keep coming back to Stranger to Strange Land because it's the one I've read more than once. Okay. Uh, but in a whole bunch of these later works, he that's still there. Uh-huh. But that's moved into the background where he's talking about these other ideas. Like he gets into the idea of one of his main characters becomes a time traveler and runs into himself. And if his and if is this, this time the traveler, grandfather paradox, basically, he he kind of he plays yeah. in the grandfather paradox. One of the things that that he brings up is, well, okay, if I travel forward in time, because mm-hmm. I don't want to travel backward in time, because yeah, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want This conversation can't be about me running into like fifteen year old me, but if I right. run into me when I'm a consenting adult mm-hmm. and we get down, oh, is that homosexuality or is it just masturbation? Oh, I like it. Like, yeah, like, yeah, when I say dirty old man, like, right. this is what I'm talking about is, is, yeah. you know, well, I guess if there's peen to the ain, uh, penetration, then you could make the argument for, for, uh, homosexuality. Yourself. Right. But, uh, if you're just shoving your thumb up there, then you could have done that on your own anyway. So therefore it's just <laughs> so, masturbation. Okay. There, okay. So yeah. we, we get down to that. Level yeah. 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 Okay. That works. Yeah. All right. We've got him pegged. Um, That's good. So so, but I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to give you an idea of of where on the right of center, uh-huh. you know, kind of I- ideology we're talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. him him landing. This this is not a guy who's like you know, in in his in his day to day life and in the rest of his writing. This is not somebody who's in favor of you know state before family, right? You know, He's, state before everything. He seems Cardassia he, forever, kind of. You know, yeah. If you do the quadrant, um, yeah. it seems like he is much closer to libertarian 
end of right, but he's actually an honest libertarian, not a libertarian who's like, well, someday that could be my boot on someone's yeah. neck. He's yeah. not an imper- a, a wannabe imperialist masking as a libertarian. Yeah. He's actually closer to, you know, you you. I don't really dig on the horseshoe theory much, but yeah. I do notice that like libertarians and anarchists, they they've got some common ground on some stuff. Yeah, and they probably both garden really well. <laughs> you know yeah well honest libertarian yeah yeah, yeah 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 they're they're both probably they probably both grow really good weed yes yes <laughs> and they both are not hating the poor yeah and yeah, yeah. they don't want to punish anyone they don't want to punish anybody yep. yeah yeah so um so that's that's where he's coming from highland very clearly as did other writers in his crew very mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. viewed the USSR as a totalitarian state. Easy to do with He's, all the literature at the time. Yeah. Yeah. He made the point repeatedly in his book mm-hmm. in, in Starship Troopers that the troopers were all there by choice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the bugs were there because the brain bugs controlled them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and demolition made the same argument about the powers of pain when Mr. Fuji turned on demolition in summer or in uh, survivor series, uh, in 1988, 89. And so, okay. So, yeah. 88. So we're talking about yeah. end of, end of Reagan, beginning of Bush one. Yeah. 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 And demolition so was that... like, Hey, you know, and I remember it was in the WWF magazine and demolition said, you know, we think for ourselves, just like the Americans in world war two, whereas, you know, the, the powers of pain, warlord and barbarian, they only do what Fuji tells them. Wow. Yeah. So that, that manages to be height of the cold war. You know, the Soviets are a, are a, you know, faceless monolith mm-hmm. with, with only the people at the top making any decisions mm-hmm. combined with, Yellow fever, fear of the Japanese. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Fuji's whole character is that. Yeah, so, yes. well, yeah, no, I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, literally, when you sneak attack someone, they call it a Pearl Harbor job. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, um, the government in Starship Troopers is a representative government. Mm-hmm. Now, it's one with a limited franchise, because the book is a riff on political philosophy rooted in the idea that the vote is important enough that one needs to earn it. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not made very clear in the book. Okay. Years later, talking mm-hmm. about the book, mm-hmm. Heinlein pointed out that 95% of people with the franchise earned the franchise through non-military government service. Okay. So the military is just one type one, of service. Okay. One way to do it. Okay. Now, in the book, because mm-hmm. he was writing the book at the height of the Cold War, right. because the whole thing was motivated by we can't stop the nuclear test yeah, because the Soviets on the are military. allowed to kill us. Yeah. And the attitude, and I and I can actually, I think I think it's it's a it's a failure that that doesn't get explicitly mentioned anywhere in the book. Mm-hmm. I am going to say that's that's strike one for Heinlein in the book. Um, and the characters in the book, one, one critic of his work pointed out that, um, Mm -hmm. the characters in the book, the moment Johnny Rico goes home and tells his father, well, you know, I want to, I want to do my thing as a citizen. I want to write the franchise. Right. His father, who does not have the vote, has not done any kind of government service, is a mm-hmm. successful businessman and does not see doesn't any care reason, a whit for it. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't care about getting into politics. Uh, you know, tells his son that's a shitty career idea. There's not a war on right now. You're you're never going to get anywhere. Oh wow! 
So the assumption of people in universe in uh-huh. the book, or a lot of people in universe in the book, is the way to get the franchise is military service. Sure. There's another point in the book where Rico and a bunch of his buddies on a on a pass from mm-hmm. basic training wind up getting ambushed by a group of merchant marine sailors mm. uh, in an alleyway. Okay. And two things happen in that. Uh, number one, he, he makes a remark about, yeah, these guys, you know, we always, we always run into trouble with these guys as, as soldiers. Whenever we go into town, we run into trouble with these guys because they resent the fact that our service gets us the, the franchise and theirs, theirs doesn't. doesn't. So I, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was Heinlein kind of cleaning up his own record all those years later when he said this or like had his opinion matured? Right. Or, right. Or, you know, hard to tell, you know? Yeah. Kind of yeah. hard to tell. Uh, the other thing that happens in that, in that fight sequence, cause the whole book is written first person. Oh, okay. From the point of view of Johnny Rico and uh, Rico's remark is, you know, after you've trained to kill a man with your bare hands, getting in a fight in an alley is actually a lot harder when you're not, when you're trying not to kill somebody, <laughs> uh, which I just want to point out, he's kind of right about uh, sure. from everything I've heard from, cause I, I haven't studied, you know, hand to hand martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything I do with a sword is no, 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 this is the murder howl. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but in, in like Aikido, Uh for example, it's a, it's a soft form, but the very first tactic they teach you is if you're being attacked by more than one guy, kill, find a way to slam the first one's head into the pavement. Right. You know, so you can then focus on the other ones. Yeah. You know, rip the second guy's arm off, you know? Yeah. 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 So like. If you don't want to go full throttle, there's actually more, more effort involved. Yeah, in, absolutely. You know. Yeah, I so, I remember just you know martial arts type of uh, uh, remembrance um, was uh, when it came to certain types. Um, the, the one that I learned was a lot of joint locking. Yeah, uh, and uh, the the emphasis became uh, break the elbow. Yeah, because you break the elbow. And they can still walk home. Yeah. So you're being kind. But if your arm <laughs> is turned 90 degree, degrees the wrong way, you're going to stop for a second <laughs> and think about your next thing. You're going to think about your life choices. Yeah. You're going to contemplate, yeah. how did I wind up here? But when it was, what do you do if you get attacked by two people? Yeah. It was try to get them to be in a line with each other. So yeah. only one at a time. Uh, and then go straight for the groin. And then rip the other one's ear off. Just, <laughs> and that was, yeah. Yeah. And that was my Sifu's wife. Oh, shit. Yeah. She was like, like, and we <laughs> yeah. all had like a running joke of like, you know, if, if, because there's our Sifu, there was our, uh, our Simo, that was her. And then there was also uh, our uh, Sigung. Um, no, no, it was his uh, CJ. Uh, it was his older uh, training brother, actually. Uh, Sijong, I think it was, but uh, it, you know, uh, listener in China, please correct us. Um, yeah. Also, hey, shout out to listener in Ireland. Good to see you. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it was uh, if if somebody were to spit on all three of them, what would happen? <laughs> and it was uh, before the spit left the dude's mouth. Our our Sijang would um, sorry, uh, our Sifu's older training brother. Yeah. Would have broken several bones on the guy <laughs> and his friend who was supposed to drive him to the hospital. 
Sifu would have just been like, well, that's kind of warm. Do you mind not doing that? And Simo would have killed him, then gone through his wallet, found all the people he was related to, and burned them to death, too. Wow. Yeah. So when she was teaching us, she's like, okay, so you rip off the ear. Like, and this is if you're if you're yeah. facing more than one yeah. person, you rip off the ear because that's a lot of blood and a lot of screaming. <clears throat> <laughs> and this way you can get away, you know. <laughs> it was just so, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's nice to see that their advice, uh, yeah, yeah. worked you its know. way into a Heinlein book. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, so, so the book is mm-hmm. a a it's a it's a Cold Warrior manifesto. Clearly, it is. It yeah. is Every ounce of Cold mm-hmm. Warrior Manifesto mm-hmm. with then this additional idea thrown in mm-hmm. about individual the responsibility of an individual citizen. If you want to be a participant in democracy, you have to have skin in the game. Mm. You have to have given something. Right. And the thing with that is, by itself, that's an idea that we can all look at and go, Okay. I see the logic to that. I see the logic behind that. Now, the problem from there is that that is is the very beginning of a very steep, slippery slope. Yes. And the thing is, um, a a lot of his his readers, a lot of his critics, Mm -hmm. have looked at that and they have made the assumption... That he wasn't like just kind of reaching over the edge and setting his foot down. Mm-hmm. They see the story mm-hmm. as being him just leaping off a cliff into the abyss oh, okay. of, yeah. of absolute militarism, absolute fascism, absolute imperialism. Sure. And I think it is not a huge leap that you have to make. Right. And again, as we've always said repeatedly, authorial intent means dick. Yeah. But it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, Heinlein, his own life experience, Mm -hmm. that's not what he's trying to say. Right, right. That, That isn't what he's trying to do. Do you think he was of the mind of like, I get how you got there, but that's 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 only one possibility? That I I wanted to open it up to his all of these. Own, his own statements about it mm-hmm. range. I think I think it depended on what what time of year and like how many oh, cocktails okay. he'd had. Uh, depending, you know, and sure. like whether whether his wife was on his back about something, you know, like right, like his, right. His his responses vary from that kind of thoughtful. Well, okay, no, look, what I was trying to do was a thought experiment, right? To just a full throated no, I'm not a fascist. Fuck you for calling me a fascist. No, kind of thing. Kind of depends on how you many know. times you get asked in the day, too. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and how okay. aggressive somebody's being about right because you know, when 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 you know, literary people got in his face about, you know, you, you, you know, fascist fuck. He'd be like, I fought the fascists. Right. 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 Like forgot, like you see how old I am. Right. Like, no. Right. Right. Um, that word means shit. And I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm, was, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so with, with all of that said, and with everything I've said about, you know, kind of trying to, yeah. trying to, trying to thread that the book is not a satire. Okay. And it is a full-throated defense of militarism because it's a 
Cold War. Set in the Cold War. Novel. Yeah. You know, um, it is the granddaddy of military science fiction as we know it today. Without mm. Heinlein Starship Troopers, we would not get Hammer Slammers or the Forever War or, fuck, for that matter, we wouldn't get Halo. Um, oh, okay. okay. You know, all or anything by John Ringo. Uh, John Ringo, no. Um, but who who also is right of center, far, far right of center. But anyway, um, it's very heavily colored by his own life experiences as a naval officer. Mm-hmm. And so there is a very clear bias that soldiers are patriotic heroes, more patriotic than anybody who doesn't serve. That a- is, as that is, someone who went to an academy. And, and yeah. Yeah. That's definitely there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. There's, so there's there's an awful lot there to unpack. Sure. Um, and as we've as I, I have in my notes, as we've established before, authorial intent means jack and shit. So it mm-hmm. shouldn't be at all surprising that when Paul Verhoeven got a hold of the work, shit went fascist. I look forward to hearing about that. Yeah, and I think we're I at a thoughts. point having having gotten to here. Yeah. This is a good place to draw the curtain for now, and we can come back in our next episode. I like and it. Talk about the movie. Talk about what the movie was reacting to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is a whole lot of other shit. Yeah. Um, because we're talking about fifty nine to ninety seven. Right. So there's almost forty years of of history between them. Mm-hmm. There's also Paul Verhoeven being Paul Verhoeven. Anyway, we'll get into <laughs> yeah, it in yeah, the next yeah. episode. But what what is your takeaway at this point? Before we fade to black. Sure. Well, a couple things come to mind. First of all, uh, Heinlein, not much on the on the uh, titles. Cleverness. <laughs> Starship Troopers seemed like a silly title to me when I went and saw it in the theater. And I had no idea it was based on a book. Okay. Um, and Have Space Suit Will Travel. Yeah. yeah. You know, Have Space Suit Will Travel is also a silly but it, it's very much a product of its time, mm-hmm. so yeah. Um, another another takeaway: Starman Jones is another one of his. Oh, good lord, ones. Jesus! Oh well, yeah. okay. Look at look at the era in which it was being yeah. written in terms yeah, yeah. of the genre as a whole. Before right. we go, it's it's a baby, you know. You know. On the man, yeah. yeah. So, you you got to yeah. get the the shitty titles yeah. out of the way before yeah, you can before get to clever you can ones. Start getting a little bit yeah. more artful, yeah. Um. So I guess uh, one of my takeaways is uh, I it's it's funny. Talking about this in the early parts, I really want us to kind of do a watch along of the Deep Space Nine episode where uh, Cisco has a fever and he imagines that he is Benny. Oh, the yeah. Social, the, oh, the, oh, God. I don't know if I want to put myself through that. It's harrowing, but it's Jesus. beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's one of his best performances. It really is. Like, um, oh, my God. Yeah. But uh, but I don't I don't know necessarily that it, it's good for this show. I just kind of want to go. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's an excuse we'll see. to go do that. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, so just just I'm curious as to because when you talked about God, what's the guy's name that wrote Conan? Robert E. Howard. Thank you. For some reason, I kept confusing Heinlein with Howard. So when you're like, yeah, I'm going to do Heinlein. I'm like, we did Heinlein. Uh, Well, they both start with H. Right. They're both. Two syllables. Like, yeah. 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 No, they both, they both come from an era of of Mm -hmm. different social mores. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, I'm, what was I going to say about that? Uh, 
Rewind just a the, bit there. The the massive you know Y chromosome. Oh no no, no. Uh, because I remember okay. no uh, nothing to do with that actually. Oh, okay. it, more how he made his money because I remember Howard wrote for uh, magazines. Yeah, pulps. Yeah, and uh, and uh, Einlein did too. Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay. This uh, but this at, wasn't at this, that. At this phase, this mm-hmm. was not that. Okay. Uh, at this phase of the development of the genre, mm-hmm. uh, we're twenty years after Howard. Right. And so the very, very earliest pulps, mm-hmm. many of them have died off, gone away. There, mm-hmm. there are new magazines coming out. Mm-hmm. And so there were, there was a whole a whole plethora of uh, anthology magazines that right. descended from the pulps right. uh, that, that were a thing. And Heinlein and Pornell and Niven and all those guys. They uh, would write they, for that. They wrote for okay. that a lot. I was curious about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. And Heinlein was very, very prolific uh with short stories okay there are multiple collections of the short stories out there um and i'm a i'm a huge fan like i'm a fan of starship troopers Mm -hmm. the book less so the movie Mm -hmm. um i'm i'm a fan of a bunch of his novels Uh uh-huh i am a huge fan of his short stories because he he was very very good Mm mm-hmm at finding an idea and building a neat little story around it with with wit and character mm-hmm. and and yeah uh so just green, get in get out boy. yeah get get in get out and and leave leave a lasting emotional impression we also walk dogs and uh green hills of earth are are okay to me two of the best science fiction short stories anybody has ever written okay and i will fucking fight people over this like <laughs> okay. like you can you can say there are others that are better and i'll uh-huh. be okay with it but if you try to tell me those two are not masterworks okay okay i'm gonna be i'm i'll be very angry so did, anyway did heinlein write any episodes of like outer limits or no he okay. did not didn't he do did tv not do any tv work that's what i was curious about okay no. so yeah i guess my Sadly. takeaway is just more questions about uh his prolificity um, so thank you for answering those. Uh, I, I, I did want to dr- drill just a little bit deeper into, mm. you said that it was a, uh, I forget the word you used. But Bildungsroman. No, no, no. The, oh. the thing about, uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, fact that it's, it's very pro-militarism. Yes. Um, is it that it's pro-militarism, pro-militarism or that's simply the backdrop of the thought experiment he was running? My own opinion. The thing is, mm-hmm. it's it's we can't get inside his head, and his sure. his commentary on it might not, you know, it might be self serving. It might not. Be right. Yeah. It's know, not it's necessarily a, a narrative, uh, a I'm, reliable narrator. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to say mm-hmm. it it comes across as pro militarism. Okay. Because that's the that's the society that he, that he built. Mm-hmm. And within that structure, that's what it is. There, there might also have been some attempts on, on his part to, to say some things in the mouths of characters that are supposed to kind of be ironic. Oh, okay. And he wasn't always very good about irony. Irony doesn't and travel irony, across time either. Yeah, and irony yeah. doesn't. Yeah, it's 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 a it's well, a tricky it's a very tricky thing. Wow. Well. So there's there's that possibility. My own opinion on it is. He is very much pro pro the institution of the military is mm-hmm. critically important for the defense of a, of okay. a free okay. state. Cool. And 
soldiers and i think he did have a very strong pro-soldier bias okay that works yeah so i, I think that's okay just because when you said on. that 95 percent of the population had other ways of getting the franchise yeah that that starkness to it made me just kind of pause for a second like clearly we're focusing on this five percent but if the other 95 percent can do it in a different way why did this five percent choose this yeah why is it only this five percent and on and on so i wanted to know what his value placed on that but thank yeah. you all right Cool. Well, uh, give us something to rec- recommend. Something to us. Recommend us a, a short story that would I'm, really I'm be the most Heinleiny. The, the anthology. Okay. Uh, the Green Hills of Earth. Okay. Green Hills uh, of Earth. If you can, if you can find that short story collection, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly, that obviously the Green Hills of Earth mm-hmm. is is the title story in that mm-hmm. anthology, and uh, I believe that one also includes We Also Walk Dogs uh which okay to me is is one of his best exercises in the way he was able to to draw pen sketches of characters mm-hmm. very rapidly and make them entertaining sympathetic to different degrees mm-hmm. and yeah and and they and they all spoke with different voices and you could you could okay. very clearly tell who each one of them was um in a very short number of of lines of text okay cool so how about you what have you got for uh me? you know as far as you know, you mentioned anthologies so i'm gonna actually recommend an anthology that i really like from star wars tales uh, from jabba's palace no actually okay. although that's a fun one um but I, had a lot of, I enjoyed that one a great deal yeah uh i would have recommended uh tales of the bounty hunters except for the boss story kind of sucked okay um but actually no it's it's tales from the new republic Okay. So, which was, I think they just did a collection from the Star Wars Insider magazine. Okay. Um, and there's also Tales from the Empire. So you just take your pick. It doesn't really okay, matter. Yeah, all right. Um, but just such fun anthologies in there. Of oh, just, yeah. You know, you get to, what I loved about it is that it's a, it's a great big universe. Yeah. And here are people you've never heard of. Yeah. See, Jabba's Palace was cool. And uh, the, the Tales from the Cantina was cool. But those were characters I'd seen. Yeah. So it was like, okay, cool. Let me trace this back. And it was either a good story or a bad story. But uh, the tales from uh, the Empire and tales from the New Republic, characters and organizations you'd never heard of, and I liked, I liked that a lot. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say All go right. with that. Yeah. Right. Cool. Well, where can people find you <clears throat> on social medias? I can be found on uh, Twitter and on Instagram as eh Blaylock. Mm-hmm. I can be found on TikTok as Mister Blaylock. M R Blaylock. And uh, we collectively can be found on the Twitter machine at Geek History Time. And where can they find you? Well, you can find me at Duh Harmony uh, on both the Twitter and the Instagram. Uh, you can also find me uh, every Tuesday night on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. Also, there is a uh, YouTube channel now with myself and uh, my partner, uh, Ian McDonald. I don't do anything on my own. I always have a partner. Yeah, well. Um, you know, my you pun know. show, this, uh, the show that I'm doing with Ian McDonald that now is on Excelsior Gaming on YouTube. Type in okay. Excelsior Gaming. And it's the one that has a character from Marvel Strike Force um, uh, as, okay. as the thing. Uh, where we teach people how to play Marvel Strike Force, yes, um, in a in a very fun way, and so I recommend those. Uh, beyond that, I I would say that that's enough. Quite I think, frankly, I think yeah. so. I'm, so 
I am continually amazed at your uh, energy and and like how many how many balls can you keep in the air? Yeah, I can juggle. I can, can juggle spin three. A lot of plates. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. you know it, it beats being lonely. So okay, well yeah. that okay that makes sense. <laughs> you right. have you have a family full time. So <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And eventually, uh, if we can beat the variants and and keep everything. Uh, from getting worse, eventually you can find me live doing comedy again. But that's that's an indeterminate amount of time away. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. All right. Well, for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And if you want to learn more, tune in next time.